Restoring fathers, Mark 9. Let's get right into the scripture this morning. And then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had, dispute, they had said to them, Excuse me. For they kept silent on the road, for they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And then he sat down and called on the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and a servant of all. And then he took a child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Powerful passage of scripture right here. Never saw it the way that I'll, I'll be honest with you that I've seen it in these last weeks preparing for this series on restoring fathers. Because I believe that what God is doing, according to Malachi chapter 4, it says in the, in the, in the last days he would, he would move by His Spirit and the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children and the hearts of the children would be turned to the fathers and there would be this generational reconciliation that's happening. And we've been looking at this over the last four weeks and we're looking at what God's desiring to do. And I remember back in... Uh, December and January, the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying that 2020 would be a year of prodigals coming home. It would be a year of prodigal sons and daughters returning to his house, right? It would be a year of prodigal sons and daughters coming back into the place where God has created for them to be. And, and, and that speaks to me because uh, Malachi chapter 4 says that the hearts of the fathers would first turn to the children and then that would cause the hearts of the children to be turned to the fathers. And I believe that this morning it's exactly what God is desiring to do because, listen to me, leaders lead because they go first. I said, leaders don't lead from the back of the room. I'm just being honest with you. I was, uh, I was teaching um, two years ago in Kona, Hawaii to YWAM. And I was speaking with some young men there in the YWAM culture. And they, we, we got on the topic of leadership. And they said, well, I'm more of a leader that leads from the back row. And I said, in, in, in a longer, more fatherly version, leaders never lead from the back row because people don't look at what's behind them. They look at what's in front of them. They don't look at who's behind. If somebody's behind you, it's likely that they're following you even though that you don't know that they're following you. But leaders lead because they go first. I look at our culture and it's obvious that there's brokenness in our culture. I look at our culture and it's obvious to me that one of the greatest things we suffer from, not just in this region, but in the world, is leadership, true leadership. 
We lack true leadership uh, because um, there are people that get put in positions that do not know how to operate in the context of that position. And they feel like, our culture feels like, it's not the person, our culture feels like if we can get the right gifting and personality mix into a position that everything will be okay. But it's exactly the opposite of that that Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 9. And he's traveling with the disciples. And I'm just imagining that the disciples are behind him, that Jesus is on a mission, right? That he's going down this road to Capernaum. And the disciples are behind him having a conversation, forgetting for a moment that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I don't know if if his ears could auditorily hear what the disciples were saying, but I know that in the spirit, because he's God over all things, he knew what they were saying. How many of you have ever had a conversation with yourself or somebody else that you hoped God wasn't listening, but then you realized later that was stupid because I know he was, right? How many of you have ever been alone before and you've done something because you felt like no one was watching, but then you realized later that he was, that he knows, right? He's above all things. He knows all things. And so he's walking down the road and the disciples are with him and he asked them, what was this conversation that you were having? And it comes out that they were having a discussion who was the greatest among them. Here they are walking with Jesus. And instead of worrying about who they're following, they're worried about who amongst the followers is the greatest. But I found something unique that Jesus didn't condemn their question. That Jesus didn't didn't condemn their desire to be great. I want to say this to you. I believe that God is raising up leaders in this generation that are unlike any other leader that the earth has ever seen before since Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ was the greatest leader that ever walked the face of the earth. I believe that we can look at any circumstance in our life and and though it's cliche, we can ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because I would believe he would do the godly, perfect thing in every situation. And that is not us. But he begins to give a prescription here for leadership that I want to look at because I want to talk to you this morning about leading as a father. But listen to me. I'm not not speaking to the women in this room. Listen to me. If we're going to be led, we need people to learn how to lead. Somebody say amen. I mean, if we're going to be led, we need politicians to learn how to lead. Somebody say amen. If we're we're going to be led, we need church leaders and pastors to know how to lead. Somebody say amen. When, When leaders don't lead well, it affects everybody. Would you agree with that? The Bible says that all authority is from God, and that means that He uses every person in authority, whether it's their heart posture to be used for His glory and for the furtherance of His kingdom or not, He will use that leadership. That being said, God has set fathers over homes and really fathers over culture in such a way that they will protect and they will guard and they will keep what God has set into place. Now we find ourselves in a place in culture where what's been set into place has become so deteriorated and so broken that that God is calling fathers to not only guard and to protect, but to restore. 
And I want to speak to you about leading as a father this morning. And I want to speak to you about restoring leadership within a culture. Restoring leadership within culture. And it says this. Why, why, why are we talking about fathers? Why are we talking about, why are we talking about leading as fathers? Because even though Jesus wasn't speaking to these men as biological fathers, he was speaking to them and he was appealing to the, the Holy Spirit that was inside of them, that spirit of fatherhood that had been placed inside of them. And he, he, he grabbed a child and he brought it into their midst and he said, listen to me, whoever receives this child receives me. However you receive this child is however you're receiving me. So it's not like, well, yeah, 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 they're in our culture. Yeah, they're in our house. No, no. However, he's, what he's saying is, let me just stick a little bit. I want to just make sure we're on the same page. Um, however you deal with this child and care for this child, you're dealing with me the same way. Whatever you say to this child, whatever you say to this generation, let me make it a little bit bigger. Whatever you say to the millennials, whatever you say to your children, whatever you say about them, God's been dealing with me about this. I'm going to be honest with you. The snowflake generation, you know, God's saying, you calling me a snowflake? Whatever you say, that's how you're receiving me. Boy, that changes things for me a lot. Like I want to get in. I want to receive. I want to serve. I want to, and, and, and that's the exact, listen to me, shift in posturing that, that, that has to take place to see what was prophesied in Malachi chapter 4 happen. Some people are like, I thought that already happened. It hasn't happened yet. If it happened, I'd be able to take you there and show you. There's been other fatherless generations. Psychologists call this generation fatherless generation. There's been other fatherless generations. The Civil War. Almost three quarters of a million men were killed. It took two decades to, to recover from fatherlessness. But it was a fatherless generation because there was physically no fathers. They were dead. Somebody say amen. This generation is a fatherless generation, not by death, but by choice. This is a fatherless generation, not because, of, not because of death. I'm not saying that people don't experience fatherlessness because of death, but, but by multiplied times more because of other things in our culture are, are, is, is, is this generation experiencing fatherlessness. And even in homes, right? 40% of the homes in Eaton County last year that had children, there was not a father present. But even in the homes where there was a father present, you think about your own statistic. I'm saying probably 40% more of the homes at least, there's a father present physically, but not engaged relationally and emotionally with children. And God's desiring to do something in this generation of fathers that will affect the generation that we're fathering. And I want to speak to you about leading as a father. And I want to start with this question of what is greatness? Because it's the same question that the disciples had. 
Who's the greatest among us? And, and, and how were they thinking about that? And I think the first thing that we think about when we think about greatness is popularity. That when we think about greatness, we, we think about popularity and we think, God, um, I, think, I think I must be great because I'm popular, because I'm well-liked, because people love me, right? Because people follow me. But that was one way to measure it. How do you define greatness? Maybe you defined it by comparison. Maybe you compare to people around you. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not that dad. You know, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm around. I'm doing the best that I can. I didn't do those. I didn't say those things. I've kept myself out of trouble with the law. Well, Pastor Andy, you know I work two jobs to provide. No, 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 listen to me. You know what comparison does? Comparison makes us feel like we need to be perfect to do well. Somebody say amen. Comparison makes us feel like we need to be perfect in order to do well. The end of comparison is quitting. People quit. Athletes quit sports not because they don't do well. They quit because they don't do as well as the people they're comparing themselves to consistently. And nobody is great at everything. Somebody should say amen. That's what, Nobody's great at everything. Everybody's a 10 at something, but you know, there's things, and if you don't believe me, ask the people that you came with today if you're a 10 at everything, and if they're honest with you, they'll tell you, no, you're, a, you're maybe a one or a two at this. And I'm not talking about tearing people down. I'm just saying comparison will rip you apart. Comparison will rip you apart as a father, and popularity will come and will go. Because, because as a father, how many of you know as a dad, as a, as, a, as a leader, you have to make decisions sometimes that aren't famous for your family. Somebody say amen, right? Like, no, we wanted to do that. Well, we can't because we can't, we can't afford it or we don't have time for it or it's not. No, you're 10 years old. You can't have your own cell phone, right? Or, you know, whatever it is. And we become, we become less popular like in moments because of right decisions that we have to make. So how do we define, how do we define greatness? How do we do that? Um, well, Jesus defines it like this with one word, servanthood. Jesus defines greatness by servanthood. I want to tell you this, servanthood is what we're going to talk about this morning. But in servanthood, um, popularity is okay. <sighs> Look at that guy. He's just... Look at him serve, you know what I mean? And, and I've just determined in my life that if I'm going to become known for something, it's going to be for serving. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that in a proud way, because if you're serving, you won't have trouble with pride. I said if you're, it's the antidote to pride, that if you have pride that you would dive in and you would serve, it shifts things. You know what's okay with serving? Comparison, because anybody can serve. I said anybody can serve. You know, you know what's, what's okay with comparison? As I get alongside of other people that are serving and they make me want to serve more. They may, you know, the only thing with serving is if you're not afraid of getting dirty, you can serve. Somebody say amen. And so I want to speak to you about servanthood and how you define greatness because in servanthood, the question is answered by how many are you serving? How many are you serving? And I'm not talking about in this out of balance way, but we can always serve more. 
said we can always serve because it's not it's not what you're doing it's how you're doing it with serving it's not it's not what you're doing it's how you're doing it with serving and so i want to i want to talk to you about servant leadership because if serving is beneath you then leading is beyond you listen to me i'm talking about your family you want to have influence over your children I'm not, you can take this, listen to me, any of you can take this and you can run anywhere in the world that you want to and it will work. But if you don't work it out in your family, we're going to lose this generation. If we don't work it out in our culture, we're going to lose this generation. I'll be honest with you. We could sell tickets. I could teach this message to business people and they would take it back and their business would shift and change, but I don't really care about that right now. My motivation is to see families change. This isn't business culture. This is kingdom culture. And it's what every place in our culture needs to succeed is the culture of the kingdom. Somebody say amen. So if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. And I want to talk to you about servant leadership. I want to talk to you about servant leadership this morning. And listen to me. Moms, you can take this message and you can apply it just as much. But don't you dare let that man, that husband of yours, think that you're going to do it so he doesn't have to. If there's going to be prayer, his knees should be on the floor next to the bed first there's something happening in your home that you're too good to do then you're exempt from having leadership because Jesus is talking here in Mark chapter 9 and he's saying this if anyone desires to be first then he shall be last of all and servant of all somebody say all All. servant of all that means you walk into a room you know your place you walk into you walk I'm supposed to serve this room that means just not I'm supposed to serve this room, but you walk into this room and you are supposed to serve this room. Your purpose exists. That means you walk into your house after a long day at work. You were put there to serve your family. You've been serving them all day. I get it, right? But service, somebody say servant leadership. The first thing that comes from servant leadership is influence. It's a buzzword in our culture today. It's influence. I'm not going to dig into the word. You know what influence means. People covet influence. You covet influence, whether you realize it or not. Otherwise, you would stop praying the prayer. says, God, keep my kids. Keep them on the right path. Keep Johnny on the right path. Keep Sissy on the right path. Train up a child in the way they should go, your word says, and they won't depart from it. No, you want influence because you want to influence the outcomes of people around you. You want to influence the outcomes of a generation, whether you understand it or not. And influence is authentic leadership. There's no other type of true leadership than servant leadership. And if you will serve you automatically have influence. How many of you say that's good? If you will serve, you automatically have influence. Uh, Lieutenant General George Flynn said this. He's Lieutenant General of the Marines. He's quoted as saying, in the mess hall, 
when it's time to eat. It doesn't matter if you are the highest ranking member of the Marines. They still eat in this order. The least ranking person is put in line first. And the last ranking person is in the line last. Why? Because they're establishing a culture of leadership. And leadership is not rank. Leadership is responsibility. I said leadership is not rank. It's not a place that you'll get to where you'll never have to serve anymore. Leadership is a responsibility. So the more that you're leading, the more you are required to serve. The more that you are leading, the more you're putting yourself from feeling like you need to be first in your flesh to being last in the spirit so that you can have the most influence. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Mark 9 here when he's saying, anyone desires to be first, he shall be last all servant of all. Why? Because God's desiring to give an influence that doesn't come from the top down. It comes from the bottom up. And this is what excites me about a culture shift, even in our region here, even in our city here, even in your family here. What excites me is you didn't have to be the smartest. You didn't have to have the best degree. You don't even have to have a position at the top to see a culture shift and change because what God is desiring to do he does through serving. Somebody say amen. amen. Leadership equates influence. He that thinks he leads but has no one follow is only taking a walk. You know what most of us in the culture are doing today? We're, we're on a walk. We're on an Australian walkabout in the outback trying to figure out who we are. And the word of God over and over again is identifying us as sons. But as sons, we follow the son of God, Jesus Christ, in the same model. He came incarnate, God 100%, in the flesh of man 100%, came to this earth to do nothing but take the lowest position to do nothing but become the last so that he could make us the first. And he's saying, you won't really live the first and the best for your life until you understand how to get in the last place and serve. And God is desiring to do something in us today that's going to shift us and going to change us. And serving, it starts with influence and it means influence and it is influence. But then something that I said we would talk about this week as I was speaking last week is integrity. And the second thing that servant leadership produces in us is integrity. You know, integrity means that you're walking the talk. Integrity means that when people look at you, they see who you say you are. How many of you know we can have a lot of people faked out, but we can't have our families faked out? How many of you know you can come into a place like this and people can be like, boy, they have it together. Like, look at them, you know. That's, that's, a, that's a model couple. That's a model family, right? And then the kids are like, but let me tell you something about that, right? Integrity integrity because God wants us to walk with with integrity and listen to me 
If you will not serve a person, you cannot lead that person. Apply this to anywhere in your life. If you will not serve a person, you cannot, you have no right to, and you have no capacity to lead that person if you will not serve that person. In a family, if you will not serve your family, you have no right, nor do you have any capacity to serve your family. You say, well, wait a minute. God made me the man. I'm the, I'm the man. I'm the husband, right? I'm the, yeah. Don't you know what Ephesians 5 says? I know exactly what it says. It says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church so much that he laid down his life for her. Has anybody died for their family in here? Anybody given their life for their family in here? Anybody given their life for their wife? Nope. Okay, none of us are there yet. But that means there's more to go. That's not condemning. It just means there's more to go. There's, there's more we can grow. There's more that we can become. Amen? And what God is desiring to do inside of us is bring such a, a shift and a change. Go with me to John chapter 13 this morning. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and, and that He had come from God and God was going, rose from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. And after that, He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. There's something happening that we have to understand. And that is people that God has called to lead are the only ones that can do some things in our culture to catalyze the change that needs to happen. Here's Jesus. He's meeting with the disciples in this room. Obviously, there had been a long journey to get to this room. Customarily, what would happen is that there would be a basin of water and there would be a towel. There would be a, a house servant. And they would take that and they would, they would say, um, take off your shoes, babe. They would say, take off your you know, sandals. And they would come and they would, they would take the person's sandals off. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see. They would come. They would come, and Jesus came around to every person at the table, and Peter's like, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, if you don't let me wash, my, wash your feet, you have no part of me. You can't follow me if you won't let me serve you. And so he's, Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm going to do what needs to be done in this room that no one is here to do. Are you listening to me? That's what leaders do. They do in a room what no one else is there to do. I'm not talking about preaching. And he took, he took the feet and he, and he washed it and then he dried it with a towel. And then he moved on to the next person. And he's saying, if you won't let me serve you, then you can't have a part of following me. Because I need to serve you so that you can follow me. 
And he picked up the towel and he created, in a sense, the order of the towel and the kingdom of God, where if leaders won't serve, then they can't lead, that they're not leaders. And he exemplified something there because there was no house servant in that house at that dinner to serve, to do what needed to be done. And so Jesus saw what needed to be done. Instead of looking at whoever was the least disciple, they were trying to figure out who was the greatest. But in knowing the greatest, they would know who the least was. And he knew who was struggling the most. And it was Judas. Because Judas was about to betray him. But he's still washing Judas' feet. Why? He's washing Judas' feet because Jesus still had a plan for Judas's life, even though Judas wasn't choosing what God's plan for his life was. He's saying, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't have a part of following me. But I'm going to step into a place. I'm not looking for the least to do what seems the least. I myself am going to, as the leader, step into the place of meeting the needs that need to be met. Because... People can't follow me unless I'm doing what they need to do. Somebody say amen. And so it's what God's desiring to do in us today. It's cause us to pick up the towel. Listen to me. You cannot lead what you will not lift. Let me talk to you about authority for a moment. When we think God set uh, Ephesians chapter 4 um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers over a church, right? It's not that he's just put them as a covering over a church under himself. He's also put them to build a foundation under the people that will continually elevate them. You cannot lead what you're not willing to lift. In other words, there's work from the bottom that needs to be done as well as covering from the top that he's already put people into place to do. Listen to me, fathers. You cannot cover your family. You cannot cover over a culture. There's holes in the authority that God's given. There's holes in the covering over homes and over, over our culture because men have not been willing to get down to the place where they serve their family while they're covering it. And you cannot lead what you're not willing to lift. And what you won't serve, you can't cover. You don't have authority because of your position. You have authority because of what you do in your position. You don't have authority because you're a husband. You have authority because you follow Jesus as a husband. You don't have authority because you're a dad. You don't have any authority because you're a dad. A anybody can do what you did. No, no, I'm not demeaning. Just saying, every man wants to do what you did. But there's more. You don't lead because you contributed to a child's birth. You lead because you serve that mother. I, I want to speak for di to divorced people for a moment. I want to tell you that, that God loves you and that I don't believe that, he, that he's ever excited about divorce, but there's so many circumstances of brokenness in our culture that I'm, I, I'm not, and nor is Jesus condemning where somebody is. But let me tell you this, your kids cannot become the collateral damage for the choices that you and your ex-spouse have made. 
And so what you have to do, you're still going to have to learn how to serve children's mother. You're still going to have to learn how to serve in such a way that's not about your words elevating or your deeds elevating you. Elevate what God is desiring to do. Luke 14, we're going to close. The last thing I want to talk to you about is your position because God has given you a position. God's given you a position. Luke 14. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone into a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. You begin to shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place that when he who invited you comes to you, you may say to you, friend, go up higher and then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table around you. What is this talking about? It's talking about walking with such an ego that we automatically walk around like we're first place. You know what? You know what I realized? Never first place in the room that I'm in. Because he's in every room that I walk into. See, I thought you were going to say something more humble than that. No, I'm rarely number one in the natural anyway. I'll just be honest to you. Because I'm serving my family. Because I'm serving my church. Because I'm serving my community. But what it's talking about is when we walk into a position... We, we tend to covet in our culture a position that's the greatest position. But Jesus is saying the greatest position is the position where you have the most capacity to serve from. You know what I, I hate about being a leader of so many things? I have to be very disciplined to make sure that I have time to get down and scrub the carpet or to clean a toilet, and pee. there will be people that will be like, no, 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 pastor, let me do that. And I'm like, no, I, I got to do this. I, I, No, I have to be a part of this. No, this has to continue, or I won't. And so listen to me. He's talking about taking a lesser place and then being invited up to a higher place. This is what I believe. I believe that there are entrepreneurs in our midst here that God is going to call into a place of business and are going to be very successful, but they're not there yet because they don't understand servant leadership. This is what I believe. I believe that there are people here that God is going to raise into a place of high political influence in our culture, but you're not there yet because you have to understand servant leadership. I believe that there are people here that are literally going to disciple thousands of people and there is creativity that's going to flow through them that's going to touch places around the world in the body of Christ. But you're not there yet because you have to understand the order of the towel. And we shouldn't go anywhere without our towel. 
Because we should always be ready, in a sense, to serve. When we walk into a room, we're not worried about how we're going to be positioned in the room. We're like, I'm going to sit in the back row. I'm going to let God invite me to the front row. And it happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. Because my life's a testimony of that. There's nothing that I want to remember more and never forget than we need to serve. And so I want to tell you this. I want to end with this statement. There's always room at the bottom. There's always room at the bottom. Why? Because whatever God's wanting to do in the circumstances around you that are frustrating, I guarantee you there's space at the bottom. Whatever's going on in your children's circumstances that they're in, maybe they're grown. Maybe you have grandchildren. Maybe we messed up. Maybe you feel like you messed up your time of raising them. Maybe you didn't even know Jesus, right? And you're like, what? What can I do? There's room at the bottom. They don't really want you to come in and sit over the top of them and be like, this is what we should have taught you. But you can serve your way into a place of influence. As long as you're willing to take the seat at the bottom until you're invited to the top, you can have more influence from the bottom than you ever will from the top. I believe that God wants to shift families this morning. I believe that he wants to do it through every person in this place, but I believe he wants to do it through the men first. God set me into a relationship and into a family where I would be a covering biblically and where at the same time I would serve and elevate those that I'm covering over. It's exactly what he wants you to do this morning. It's exactly what he's calling every man in this place under the sound of my voice to do is to commit to be the first one on their knees in prayer. That means some of you have some pretty high-level women in your home. I'll be quite honest with you, you're used to following them around because it's just easier for you. And you've become passive and you've become weak. And that's not their fault, that's your fault. They're, you're forcing them to lead something that they were never meant to lead even though they're doing something that God created them to do. So that means if you married somebody high level like I did, it just means I got to work overtime. It is a simple act of obedience that we need to do to lead. And it means that we're taking ourselves and our minds from first place and putting ourselves in last place. It never means we're leading from the back. It just means that we're serving from the front. Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver, and I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that... He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to Him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.